0: Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole.
1: I tried very hard to get into USC film school, and I just didn't have the grades to get in. And I realized this was going to be what I was gonna do, or I was gonna die trying.
0: Okay, so this week, we're gonna do something a little bit different. Now, we have to start with your feelings, O'Toole. We do. (laughs) I know you're going to get anxious. We're talking about feelings now. I know. Right now, (laughs) my feeling
1: is one of great angst. (laughs) Okay. Okay.
0: My feelings are much more in the forefront of our podcast than yours. But I can't say, mean I was thinking about it when I was getting ready for the podcast,
1: you're not a huge Spielberg fan like I am, right? I never have been. I find some of his movies just too heavy-handed. However, it will not surprise you, my two favorite Spielberg films both do have female characters.
0: Well, so, but I am a Spielberg fan. And the reason I'm a Spielberg fan is somehow he always seemed to bring out one emotion in me, in a larger way than other films were able to. So for um, for Jaws, it was fear. You know, really, it was fear. The word around town was Jaws was
1: a folly and that it was going to be a disaster. Dun, 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 dun. The night Jaws opened, we were looking going down all the lines and said, this is it.
0: And we hardly even saw the friggin' shark, you know? But Mm -hmm. um, for E.T., it was my own parents' divorce, you know, at a time when people weren't getting divorced which I didn't realize was such the backstory of why he wanted to make E.T. the way he did. It had nothing to do with an alien creature. It had everything to do with the family coping with divorce, which we find
1: out in this documentary we're going to talk about. And his parents' divorce could be its own screenplay. (laughs) She left him for the father's best friend, and then they ended up reuniting later in life.
0: But more importantly is that his father never told anybody why they split up, so Spielberg all those years blamed his dad when really it was his mother.
1: It was a gentleman thing to do. Yeah. And his father turned a hundred this year. His mother just passed away at the age of ninety seven. So yeah. theirs was a very long romance.
0: Well how lucky for us because it looks like they'll you know, he has his long those longevity genes. But so Spielberg is a long documentary that was put out this year, mm-hmm. and while it definitely, you know, talk about happy talk. It really does bring out the strength and the wonderfulness of the Spielberg work and it doesn't really go into any of the, you know, scandals around the fact that he was still married when he fell in love with his present wife or you know, it doesn't touch on any of that, but it does enlighten the viewer on what was also happening. Parallel to Spielberg's trajectory to success,
1: when I got into the group of the movie brats, it was the first time I felt like an insider.
0: This is Steven. Get the camera arranged. You know, in the 60s and 70s is really when the movie industry turned the power over to the director. Before that, it was the studio house that had all the power, and the director was a secondary player. And Spielberg and Scorsese, and what they called it what the Hollywood brat
1: pack or something. Yep, with Barry Levinson and George <laughs> Lucas. Exactly. I mean, just a lot of but them. But they
0: got to do their own thing and I think the most important quote from Spielberg you know it's it's all in life is about freedom and he says the success of Jaws changed my life Spielberg says in this in the in the documentary it gave me the chance to pick and choose the movies I directed from then on so Jaws was a free pass into my future now that can't be denied that many of these movies might not have ever been made had Jaws, which grossed more than any other movie in the history of time when it came out, if Jaws hadn't been what it was, I'm not sure Spielberg would have been able to make the movies because he was always over budget. He took way longer than he was supposed to.
1: I mean, there were issues with his filmmaking, no question about it. Along those lines, however, it's very interesting that all the other directors of that era, Scorsese and all the other ones who were interviewed, they really say that, Of all of them, Spielberg was the one who really spoke studio. He knew what would appeal to a studio executive. So he wasn't this auteur out making these very esoteric indie movies. He went broad from the get-go.
0: I would change that statement. I think what they were saying was more that he knew how to pitch the studios in a way that brought the film alive to them so they could see what it could become. So he was a great marketing guy of the film beforehand. Not that he just spoke their language,
1: but rather that he could bring them into what the potential for a film was. But I think from the documentary, you really see that he was all about broad appeal and it weighed on him when other people said he wasn't really an artist. He was a box office guy. And it's interesting how they track his evolution as a filmmaker, as he views it himself.
0: Yeah, and again, I would sort of rewrite in a different way what I heard versus what you just heard. I didn't think that he was after Broad Appeal. I think the stories that he happened to want to tell, which were helping him through the, the difficulties of his own life, happened to have Broad Appeal. So I don't think he set out to have Broad Appeal at all. I think... He just wanted to tell the stories that, that compelled him, and it just so happens that his feeling feelings were very much
1: like everybody else's, which is why they had such broad appeal. But I don't well, think that that and, was his
0: goal. I
1: don't think but, it ever But No, was. just to clarify, I think that's a good goal, because what he did is he always managed to make his movies universal because he made them personal. But what's interesting is when people started saying, well, is he going to mature as a filmmaker in terms of the stories he told? And he said, you know, with The Color Purple, that was his challenge. He was trying to prove to himself and to the rest of the world that he could take on something that substantive.
0: All my life I had to fight.
1: I had to fight
0: my daddy, I had to fight my uncles, I had to fight my brothers. Girl, child ain't safe in a family man's.
1: I never thought I had to fight in my own house. But I loved it when he said that with his storytelling, truth began to upstage fiction. And he started telling stories like Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan.
0: Right. But I don't. Yeah, I think he was very clear that that was his goal was not that it, it was to uh, when, he, when he did The Color Purple, He wanted to show people that he wasn't a lightweight and that he could Mm -hmm. do serious, serious work. But he also says in an interview that looking back, and I'm not sure it was actually in this documentary, but I heard it in another interview, that looking back, he would have shot it very differently. He wasn't open enough to do some of the sex scenes the way they should have been done. And he feels that uh, it was a great moment. He actually said, it was in an Oprah inf- interview, she said, well, so, because she was obviously in The Color Purple, and she said, well, would you shoot it differently? And he said, actually, I wouldn't shoot it. I think it needs to go to be directed by a person of color who has the kind of DNA experience that I do not, and would probably be able to bring it to life better. You know, I, I, I admire his point of view in so many ways so
1: often really really strong i do applaud him that he said you know i want to show i wasn't an unabashedly commercial director he also points out in this documentary that since he's made the color purple times have changed you know and people might be more receptive to certain things on the big screen yeah but he than they he, he said then. that's
0: not why he didn't put it on the screen he didn't put it on the screen cuz he he could not he didn't know how to shoot it he, he was too uptight to be able to present some of the content. Uh, he just wasn't comfortable
1: bringing it to the screen. So, and I, I think there's a big differential there. But it also goes back to my initial point that his films that resonate the most with me have female protagonists. Mm.
0: So it's color purple. Well, we're going to talk about that later. So, but here's the thing about this documentary. And I guess we have to go back to the meaning of the word documentary, which is supposed to document something, but it's also supposed to show both sides of, you know, documentation. So they have a lot of people talking and 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 propelling Spielberg's work uh, toward greatness.
1: I felt like, you know, a paperboy for the Daily Planet, and he was Clark Kent, and we, everybody knew he was Superman at the same time. So I was, hey, hi.
0: I think they should have had more critics on who took some of it apart. If they really wanted to put together a piece of work that 50 years from now could walk the public through uh, Steven Spielberg's life in film, you'd have to show some of the criticism of his work. And I I think it was missing. And I also don't think it would have lessened the strength of him at all because I happen to sit on the side of his greatness, but there are others you know, who are not wowed by his work. And why wouldn't you want to put both sides to the magic? Or why not then if, you know, just call it ode to Steven Spielberg,
1: you know, because it's not a true documentary showing both sides. I did hear more criticism in this documentary than you did. There were people that hated him, people that blamed him for ruining the movies. But even when he's telling stories about his childhood, you know, he does it in such an affable tone, but when you really listen to what he's saying about how he tortured his sisters when he locked them in the closet to scare them to death because he was testing out his storytelling prowess, you know, putting skulls in there covered in blood, and the sister said, well, you know, now he gets to scare the whole world. When you look back on that story, I thought that could have been a little traumatic for the sisters. I'm glad that he put his skill to good use, But, you know, even when he said that most of his demons from childhood were self-inflicted, I thought, well, that's interesting. I wouldn't have minded hearing more about that.
0: Well, he, for example, his embarrassment about being Jewish, not because he had anything against the Jewish faith, but because he was the only Jew in town, and he didn't like to stand out in that way and be made fun of. But, you know, and so making Schindler's List, you know, was a huge step for him. And the pride, he said, in being Jewish at the end of it, just was lifted a ton of the heaviness of of his feelings when of shame about how he treated his Jewishness when he was younger. I mean, he tells he tells some wonderful stories about his life and how and how it affected what he did.
1: But even that story, where he's talking about how he was out playing on the street with his friends and his grandfather was calling him by his Hebrew name, and he just. Pretended like it wasn't him.
0: Well, he's no, he didn't just pretend. He said, No, he's not calling. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know he's calling. Much worse than pretending you're
1: deaf at I the moment. Know. But, I thought, you know, the yeah. grandfather was probably, he could have been devastated. <laughs> or the story he told about walking in on his parents and his father was crying and how he just started screaming at him, Cry baby, cry baby, cry baby. And then put that into one of his movies. I thought, again, little Stephen as a kid, that that's a moment. I'm not sure why well, I would I think want to lo- immortalize. I, I, I don't know any
0: anybody who doesn't look back on their childhood and regret some of the things they said in anger to their parents. He, he was a terrified child at that moment in time. He was he was trying to take take away the fear. I mean, I don't think he could be held accountable when when you're eight years old and you yell at your well, dad for
1: something like that. I thought it was very interesting though because he said that. All of his movies, especially in the beginning, were all about the underdog and giving the underdog power because he was so bullied as a kid. And yet at that same moment, he said he was so ashamed of his father for crying. And I thought, okay, wow, that's interesting. When the tables were turned, he just started screaming at his dad. Well,
0: I I think kids behave that way. I think that's actually a pretty normal reaction for someone in that particular situation where you're parent is terrifying you because you've never seen it. You just want to make it stop. And so, you you know, he reverted to... I mean, I I don't think that's abnormal at all. I think he
1: was bullying his dad. Well,
0: I think an eight-year-old kid who's in that position, you know, I I wouldn't call it bullying at all. And
1: I'm glad they've had rapprochement, but, I mean, he just, the sisters say that, you know, he didn't talk to his father for
0: years. Uh, Yeah, well, his father lied about why they were splitting up, you know, so. Well,
1: he said he protected the mother because he knew she was more vulnerable.
0: Right. Uh, You know, look, he's clearly a complex guy Mm -hmm. that's filled with a lot of angst, and he makes movies to get rid of them.
1: All my films come from the part of myself that I really can't articulate.
0: And one of the things he says is, even as a young child, when he was making a movie, it was the only time he could control what was happening. And so you can't, when you're being bullied, you can't control that, you know, it's out of your control. When your parents are a little bit Looney Tune and your mother is, you know, crazy, You know, you can't control that. So, this was his moment when he could be in charge, and that was one of the things that he loved about it, and he still does. So, I think we can see where it all comes from. And I think, I mean, I think there's genius underneath that in that he could translate that
1: angst into stories that so resonate with so many people. Well, see, isn't this interesting, Hollister? You wanted the documentary to be more critical, and yet. Where I see criticism, you defend him.
0: I, I don't see criticism around a kid sharing that, you know, that he started yelling at his father, you know, I mean, in a terrified moment. I, I don't think, I, I, I don't see that as criticism.
1: Maybe you do, but I don't. And, you know, terror does funny things to people. As Steven Spielberg himself says, movies are his therapy. Every time I start a new scene, I'm nervous. And when that verges on panic, I, I get great ideas. <laughs>
0: You know, fear is a great motivator. It's like cocaine. It heightens awareness of everything. So when you're afraid, actions can be extreme. You know, you can lift a a car off a body when you're terrified. You know, there are things you can do when you're terrified. And he clearly had a lot of fear as a child, no question.
1: And not that they brought this up in the documentary, but I'm very glad his father gave him his first camera because when he said that the camera was his pen and that's how he told stories... You know, everyone in the documentary agreed that he was a master of moving the camera, where that is pretty seamless when you look at his movies. It's definitely his language that he speaks. It's a visual one.
0: If you love film, the movie is a good movie to see just to see how films break down sometimes. You know, endings that the studio asked him to change that he refused. And why he refused, it's sort of like, oh, you know, I never knew that was what that ending was really about. You know, there's some great moments
1: about film, not just about Spielberg. So Mm -hmm. I think it's worth seeing for that alone. Or even when you hear Spielberg say that the first SAG card carrying member he ever directed was Joan Crawford. (laughs) <laughs> That's a pretty auspicious story. Oh, I know. Can
0: you imagine?
1: <laughs> she recognized his prowess very early on, where she pointed him out across a room and told a reporter to go interview that kid. He's going to be somebody. And he is somebody, um, as we,
0: as are we all, right? I highly recommend this documentary for anybody who cares about film. Whether you like Spielberg's work or not, you're going to learn a lot, and maybe you'll soften toward him a little bit. I certainly um, was already soft toward him, but I learned a lot that explained why I like him in a way that was revealing for me in terms of how I feel about film. Mm
1: -hmm. You learn a lot because he has been at it for so long. So, for example, when they talk about Jurassic Park, you realize it was the advent of CGI, which we just so take for granted today. When they talk about Jaws and what a huge success that was, that's credited with starting the tradition of the summer blockbuster. E.T., you can talk about product placement. It's really... The history of Steven Spielberg is a history of, you know, Hollywood over the last 50 years. Absolutely. But I definitely want to give a shout out to HBO and to Susan Lacey, who made the documentary. She has won 14 Emmys for her documentary work. HBO really knows how to do documentaries. So this one's two and a half hours long. It's a long one, yeah. But I think it's packed with as you said, the love of the movies. He has a dynamic sense of real filmmaking.
0: You think of that young kid one day sneaking his way into a studio and manifesting his own destiny. It's a pretty fantastic Hollywood story. Absolutely, so should we get to the list of six? Okay. Okay, so I'm gonna start off with our list of six. Or It's all about Spielberg. So the first thing I have to mention is he was rejected twice from doing a franchise he really wanted to do. Can you guess what that is? James Bond. Yeah. He wanted to do the Bond franchise, and they rejected him.
1: Now, I think James Bond by Spielberg could be really interesting indeed. I read a really funny quote about that. The producer of the James Bond franchise, when he first heard that the young Steven Spielberg wanted to direct one of the movies, he said, quote, kid, you got to get some more films under your belt. And then Spielberg approached him again after he did schindler's list and then he was told by the same producer now i can't afford you
0: (laughs) well he did schindler's list for free so i'm not sure you know (laughs) okay what
1: do you got what's what's on yours i didn't realize that he almost directed the movie big starring tom hanks i didn't know that
0: big i turned into a grown-up mom i made this wish on the machine
1: and into a grown-up. And do you know why he didn't? No, why? It was written by his sister Anne Spielberg, and he didn't want to steal her thunder. Interesting.
0: Okay, Schindler's List was the most expensive black-and-white film ever made. Wow. I know, right? That's huge. Yeah, it is huge. Schindler
1: changed my entire approach to cinema. He was like someone whose skin had been torn
0: off. I think it was also, it was it was made on location. He insisted on doing it where things actually happened. And and there were so many extras in this. So yeah, most expensive black and white film ever made.
1: I didn't realize when he made Schindler's List, he did much of the camera work himself because he wanted handheld camera work. And it was also, they had so many extras
0: and there were so many people running around that he, you couldn't stop the flow. So he kept
1: seeing things he wanted. So he just took a camera, but okay, what do you have? I'm gonna go with E.T., I want to give it a special shout-out because this is a movie where I thought, okay, seriously, this movie <laughs> cannot be as emotional as everyone says it is, and it did make me cry. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize he's Drew Barrymore's godfather. He's also the godfather of another famous actress. Do you know who it is? Let me think about it. Mm,
0: godfather, Drew Barrymore, and I know the answer to this question.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. do 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 do
1: I don't know. Gwyneth Paltrow. In this documentary, Drew Barrymore said something that I thought was so true about E.T. She said it was probably so successful because it was so relatable because Spielberg managed to set an intergalactic story in suburbia.
0: Right, and the skyrocketing of divorce. (laughs) Right, (laughs) and And the loneliness of a kid,
1: which Spielberg said he was feeling. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so I'm going to go with Spielberg was the first person to suggest introduced the pg-13 rating which indicates that only individuals who are 13 years or above can be granted the right to watch a film and he this happened because he there were complaints made by parents over the pg ratings of movies like poltergeist indiana jones and the temple of doom etc so i i thought that was pretty cool he really does care about film and who views it and it's so, it basically meant, even if your parents said you could go, you couldn't.
1: Okay, I think I'm going to go back to E.T. for my third one. I okay. I didn't realize until I went to the Galapagos Islands that he based E.T. on the Galapagos tortoise. Hollister, that was a very disorienting moment where I turned the corner and saw 30 E.T.'s looking back at me. I just assumed that he had just created that out of whole cloth. Oh. E.T. phone home? Huh? E.T. Phone. Home.
0: You can totally see it. It's definitely a turtle. E.T. Phone. Home.
1: <laughs> and I remember when I left, I thought, if I don't get this part, I've spent half a day with one of the great cinema storytellers of all time. It was like a master class. And he was just an ordinary guy with a baseball cap. I think he was chewing gum.
0: And I said, I'm in. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, I don't care. I'll sweep the floor if you want. Thank you, Steven Spielberg, for so many years of screen entertainment that I don't think anybody else could have done quite so well. Really grateful. And
1: I'm sure he's got many, many, many years to go. Yes, let's hope so.